This episode of Biscuits and Jam is presented by Boar's Head. Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. And in this episode, I'm talking to a young singer-songwriter with a remarkable story and a whole lot of Texas spirit. Danielle Bradbury won season four of The Voice 10 years ago when she was just 16 years old, and she's still the youngest person to have ever won the show. She credits the guidance of Blake Shelton, who spun around the minute he heard her voice, as well as the support of her family and her hometown of Cypress, Texas. Danielle also talks about growing up in a real-life version of Friday Night Lights, the important place of tamales and her family's holiday traditions, her focus on songwriting since moving to Nashville, and her first headlining tour behind the new single, A Special Place. All that and more this week on Biscuits and Jam. Well, Danielle Bradbury, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Hi. (laughs) So, Danielle, I want to talk to you about Cypress, Texas, which is sort of northwest of Houston. Tell me a little bit about your hometown and uh, what it means to you. Well, it's one of those hometowns where it's small, but in a big, big area. There's a lot of people, football every Friday night. It's like one of the most important things. My whole family is still there, and that's where I go to visit every holiday. I love my hometown. It means a lot to me, and it will always hold a special place in my heart. Well, so does it feel like it's sort of part of Houston, or does it really have its own identity? Does it have kind of a small town feel? It does have that small town identity. I mean, you aren't far from Houston. My mom wakes up every morning and drives to Houston for work. So it's still a part of my hometown, but Cyprus does have its own feel, identity, and whoever lives there knows, you know, that's Cyprus. So So you mentioned football. So take me to like Friday night at a football game in Cypress, Texas. What does that kind of look and feel like? Friday night football in my hometown was everybody gets together, everybody carpools to go to watch the football game. And our high school football games were never little bleacher type football fields. It looked like a college stadium football field. (laughs) It was pretty obnoxious. (laughs) I mean, it just shows how important the sport is there in in Texas. I mean, if you weren't there, you felt very left out. (laughs) In high school back then, we would all meet up at a a friend's house, get ready together. I mean, we do the paint down the legs and paint a number and get all decked out in our school colors and show up at the football game. And it was just so big and so fun. And we had a huge band, the cheerleaders, we all knew them. And it was just, it was really like Friday Night Lights, (laughs) but on steroids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we have similar things in Alabama, although I think uh, Texas takes it to a whole other level. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your mom and dad and, and what they do for a living. My mom is a hairdresser. Like I said previously, she drives to Houston by the Galleria, if anybody's familiar with that, the Galleria area. She works over there and she's worked in hair my whole life. 
And my dad is a handyman at the chemo boardwalk, which if you are from Texas, you kind of know where that is, but he knows how to fix anything. So he's over there on the hands and knees all the time. Yeah, he does construction and all of that stuff. Well, so are they musical or was that something that just kind of came out of the blue with you? So my dad knows how to sing and he played the guitar, I mean, since I can remember. So he, more than anybody, was more of the musically driven one. He was never in the industry or anything, but he just enjoyed music and was always playing the guitar, very shy to sing, but he would sing and his favorite band was the Eagles. So I grew up on the Eagles and my mom loves music as well, but she she loves to dance. The R&B, she has a Spanish background, so she likes that type of music too. And so I've really, growing up, have been around all different types of genres of music. And I'm very thankful for that. Overall, my family does love music, but I got, I think, the singing and, and that love from my dad. My parents say my grandmothers love music and love to sing. And my mom's great-grandmother, she said that she had a beautiful voice. So it's definitely scattered in the family. But yeah, music is definitely a love for all of us since I was born. So you mentioned your grandmothers. Do you have a lot of extended family in Texas? I mean, is everybody kind of down there or where are they? Yeah. So everybody has been in Texas. My grandmother is in Pasadena, Texas, near my dad. My other grandparents are no longer with us, but they are definitely still praised to this day. But yeah, everybody has been in Texas, mainly like Houston, outside of Houston area. So it's been really cool to have all the family from Texas. I want to talk about food for a second. I always do on this podcast, and I especially love talking to people from Texas about food. So tell me a little bit about who were the cooks in your family, because I know that there must have been some in Texas. <laughs> yes, there has definitely been a lot of cooks throughout the family. My grandmother on my mom's side, speaking of just having a Spanish background, she was from Mexico. And her and my great-grandmother owned one of, they say, the best Mexican restaurants in Houston. And my grandmother, she owned, I think, two or three in downtown Houston. Cooking Mexican food was a top priority in my family. And when she was still here, she would make tamales from scratch. Her whole menu, every time I was at her house and when she would watch my sister and I I mean, that's all she cooked was Mexican food. So the Mexican food, I was got very spoiled. <laughs> so the cooks on that side were just absolutely incredible having that background. And then my dad, he can cook everything that's on the grill and, and the barbecue. And he perfects that. We're a big barbecue, big family reunion. Everybody comes over to the house. There's food everywhere. My mom's a big snacker. And I mean, food has definitely been a big part of our family. So I love food <laughs> and I have gotten very spoiled. <laughs> oh my gosh. That makes me a little jealous because there's nothing I love more than Mexican food and just to have that in the family and part of your culture. Yeah. So for the holidays, when you had these big get togethers, 
I mean, did y'all do that kind of Texas thing of having like tamales for Thanksgiving? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Our tradition every single year, we get trays and trays of tamales and we have tamales for breakfast every Christmas morning. It will forever go strong. But when my grandmother was here, she would have the whole kitchen spread out because she would make the tamales from scratch. And ever since that, we have not even bothered to, to try and make them from scratch because seeing my grandmother do it, I mean, the whole kitchen space would be absolutely covered in all of the tools and things that she would need to make the tamales. It's a whole process and it's a whole skill that she would only be able to do. So we just go to one of my mom's favorite Mexican spots in Houston. We get them the night before and then we'd have them for breakfast. And it's so good. It's like one of my favorite foods. <laughs> what a great tradition and only in Texas. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so what about the church? Was that part of your growing up at all? Yeah, we grew up going to church every Sunday near Clear Lake. I was born in Houston, lived over in Leak City for my younger years, and then eventually moved to Cyprus. And Cyprus is my hometown. But in Leak City, we'd go to Clear Lake Community Church every Sunday. Was this a big sort of musical experience for you? Or was that part of the service? Or was that something that interested you or excited you? Yeah, actually, the community church I just mentioned, Clear Lake, they would always have such a beautiful worship service. And there was this one girl that always sang every Sunday. And I remember her being my favorite because she was a younger girl. And the way she sang and the way she worshiped, I just thought it was so powerful. And my inspirations across the board have always been powerhouses and powerful music. And Christian music is one of the most powerful types of music. And I would look forward to every Sunday worship service to just watch them perform and and just feel all of that and, and listen to this one girl sing. And it definitely stuck with me and was a huge inspiration for just my love for music. Well, so I want to talk about you getting really interested in music. And, you know, I've heard you say that you started singing when you were a little girl, which makes a lot of sense. But I'm wondering when that took a step to you actually writing your own songs. Yeah. So my dad bought me a cassette player with a, with a microphone and I would put in my CDs and sing along with the artists. And that's how I would sing in my room for hours. And I tried to write a song, but it was more for the fun of it than actually trying to write my own music. And it wasn't that easy for me. And for the longest time, I never really tried. So when I got on The Voice and moved to Nashville and put out my first record, and then I had this gap in between the first record and the second record, and a lot of life has happened since, but that was the moment as I was older that I really dove into songwriting. And I don't think it matters whatever age you are, I feel like I didn't think I could do it. And, and I'm not the best still, but I got better and found my voice in my music, found what I really want to say in my music through songwriting. And with the help of these incredible songwriters in Nashville, helping me drive that session, 
I've learned so much about songwriting and I did not have a background, but I, I dove into it being in Nashville. So I'm thankful that I have opened that door for myself because before I, I couldn't tell you how to write a song. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that was a more recent development that really came when you moved to Nashville. Yeah. Well, I want to come back to some of your songwriting and some of the songs you've done, which are really wonderful. But before we do that, I want to go back to the voice for a minute. So it's been almost 10 years since you won the voice on Blake Shelton's team. Mm -hmm. You were 16 years old. Yes. The youngest person to ever win at the time. I don't know if that's still true. (laughs) Is it? Is that still the case? I think it is. So far, I think I'm still the youngest. (laughs) It's amazing. As someone who has a daughter who's almost 16, it's even more amazing to me. But I want to ask you about kind of the moment right before the show. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine who you are and what your life is like uh, right before you go on that show, what were you doing? You were just doing sort of normal sophomore in high school things. Who was Danielle Bradbury at that moment? Oh man, I was your average girl in high school in Cypress, Texas. I was not your popular girl whatsoever. I knew everybody. I was nice to everybody, but I I was hitting my awkward years and I wasn't great in school, which is something that I like to voice because I know a lot of a lot of kids struggle and I was one of those. <laughs> I I struggled so bad in school. I remember doing summer school. I remember having tutors all the time. And again, I was not the popular kid. I was never in choir. I was never in any of that stuff. I was more in athletic sports, but I was literally your most average, just normal girl in school and hung out with friends every day after school and then try to do my homework. (laughs) But Going on The Voice and and doing that whole thing, it was literally a complete 180. (laughs) Well, you go from that to these auditions. And at some of those early auditions, you're suddenly performing in front of some of the biggest name musicians on the planet. What is that experience like for that 16-year-old girl How did you get through that? And how did you find the confidence to stand up there and and perform? I ask myself that (laughs) till this day. My mom and I actually, we always circle back to that moment because she was with me. I was a minor. I had my mom with me the whole entire time. She sacrificed a lot because I had brothers at home, younger brothers, and she stopped her job not knowing what was going to happen with me. So big thanks to my mom for that. She risked a lot. But yeah, it was the craziest experience going from that no musical experience, no music industry experience, not even being in front of famous people to doing all of that. And this is one of the things that we've talked about. I think not having that experience at all helped me in a way because I didn't know what to expect. I didn't have these high expectations. And every day I just let them kind of guide me where I needed to be. And it was just the most authentic 
Danielle people were going to get because there was no filter. I was just living literally in those moments, every single moment. And I remember other contestants that were in the music industry. There is a woman that was Michael Jackson's background singer on my season. I mean, a lot of these artists that I also looked up to because they had beautiful voices and they were way more experienced than I was. But a lot of these people were getting more nervous and getting sick before the performance and having these freakouts. And and my mom will forever tell the story. It was right before I went into hair and makeup. I fell asleep in the dressing room. (laughs) And she was like, I don't know how you did that. I was like, I don't know either. (laughs) It's a feeling and experience that is still wild to me. And I don't know how I got through it, but my adrenaline every time I walked on stage just kind of took over. Well, I just love that you fell asleep, just, you know, a tired, exhausted high school teenage girl. (laughs) Right. Well, the whole town of Cyprus must have been pulling for you. Oh, my gosh. I still am so thankful for that hometown. All around town, they had these huge, massive watch parties and people put together these YouTube videos of every location, everybody watching that finale. And I mean, there was just thousands of people and I still get so emotional watching those videos if I do come across them because there were so many people watching this little 16-year-old about to win or maybe not win this huge, massive show one of the big watch parties was at our community church. And that one, my sister, my best friends, they were all front row. The news was on them. And as soon as they called my name, the whole place just erupted. And then watching my sister just break down, it was awesome. Cyprus has definitely been my biggest supporter. I mean, it kind of makes Friday nights look sort of small by comparison, you know, when you think about all those (laughs) watch parties. Right. (laughs) I'll be back with more from Danielle Bradbury after the break. This episode of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living is presented by Boar's Head. Introducing Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Glazed Chicken, a new classic flavor available only from Boar's Head that brings the celebrated traditions, signature flavors, and iconic taste of sweet honey barbecue to your local deli. Inspired by famous barbecue joints and the aficionados who know the reward is worth the wait, comes an authentic experience that can only be from Boar's Head. Made with premium ingredients, this slow-roasted chicken is delightfully sweet with notes of honey and perfectly balanced with savory hints of hickory smoke. Honey drizzled and barbecue sizzled. Ask for freshly sliced Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Chicken during your next visit to the deli counter. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. 
I'm Sid Evans, and today I'm talking with Danielle Bradbury. So, Danielle, I'm from uh, Memphis, and I want to ask you about a song that you sang on one of your finales that year. Talk to me about Maybe It Was Memphis and what that song means to you and why you chose it. Yeah, so that was my very first finale live show song. Blake Shelton had a huge influence on the music I was singing. And I always tell this story. It's funny because I was so young. I knew maybe it was Memphis, but I didn't know it. I have heard it just from my family playing it or hearing it somewhere. But when Blake would introduce these songs to me, I I was hesitant. I'm like, why are you making me sing all these older songs? And I'm the youngest one on here. I, I didn't get it at the time. But He had a plan and he would always tell me, quote, trust me, sis, just trust me, sis. I'm like, okay, okay. And it just brought a whole side of me that I didn't know I had. And he obviously knew what he was doing. And maybe it was Memphis became one of the bigger performances. And it was the first number one that the show has had on iTunes. So that was a huge moment for obviously me and for the show and the song it brought, maybe it was Memphis, the actual song back up on the charts. It was a really big moment. And yeah, I'm very thankful for that song. (laughs) Very thankful that Blake picked it. (laughs) Are there things that Blake taught you that have stayed with you over the years? Yeah, definitely. If you've seen videos and have met him or whatever, he's definitely the jokester, the funny, outgoing, your normal, humble guy. And he is literally what you see is what you get. He was so amazing and still is. But just as a 16-year-old, again, not knowing what to expect, not knowing what the heck is going on, he immediately recognized that. And he took me under his wing and Just having that total opposite personality, his goal was to really break me out of that shell and really showcase my personality the best way I could. And he always made sure I was the most comfortable on stage. And that is what I will forever hold on to. And just the way he would help me get my confidence on stage and the things that he would say to me, nothing in particular, just the whole experience and how he handled this 16 year old. It was. For someone not having kids, like he was a pro. (laughs) He's just that good of a guy. And he just has such a good heart, big heart. And he just made sure he had my whole family at his house in LA before I won. Just to make sure that I was ready if I were to win. And he did not have to do that. He didn't have to bring my family into his home. And he's just that family guy. And so his way of doing things will always stick with me. Hmm. You know, there must have been quite a hangover after all of that. And (laughs) you moved to Nashville. And, you know, a lot of folks move to Nashville. And a lot of people I've talked to on this podcast can take them a really long time to break through. I mean, years and years. But of course, you had already sort of broken through by the time you got there. Did you ever have a tough time getting on your feet and navigating that that town? Yeah, there was definitely a moment coming here to Nashville. I was on cloud nine from The Voice. I got to perform on the plaza in New York and 
was doing all of these crazy things. My very first tour was Brad Paisley and it was just go, 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 go. And then after all of that, I had this big chunk in between albums. And I think at the time I was very frustrated, but now looking back, if I didn't have that space to just sit down with myself after all of that, especially at such a young age, then who knows what that would have done mentally. My mom always says that now, like, I'm so glad you had that because if it was 100 miles an hour from then till now, would you have been ready? And I'm like, honestly, probably not. And so after that, there has been these slow moments getting back up on my feet and just really finding out who Danielle Bradbury is. It's been a process to really dig my feet back into Nashville and not being this girl from a winning reality singing TV show. But I've learned more than anything about myself and my music. And 10 years is a long time. So I better have something figured out by now. Well, you've written some great songs and performed some great songs, had all sorts of collaborations. I wanted to ask you about a few songs and start with one called Worth It that you wrote. I think with a couple of partners a few years ago. Tell me a little bit about how that one came together and what it meant to you at the time. I remember coming into the session and just kind of in my head that day. And the cool thing about writing sessions is it can kind of be like a therapy session. Like you are telling them all about your day or last week or what you're going through. Or, I mean, you have to kind of open up more than usual to get a song like this. And that's exactly what I did. I came in just kind of feeling a little down on myself and just needing that song for me. And knowing that it was for me, I'm like, a lot of people could use this in a lot of ways. And so we wrote Worth It from a very personal space. But I just love writing things that are very real and saying it in a way that it could be about a relationship, but it could be about anything. So yeah, that was a song that I wrote for my heart and the amount of fans and people that have come to me saying that that song has helped them through what I was going through. Like that's my goal. So it will forever be one of my favorite songs and I still perform it till this day. And it's a big moment in my show. (laughs) Well, I don't know how many breakups you've had, but you've got a lot of breakup songs. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So there's another great song that you did called Goodbye Summer with Thomas Rhett. And it sounds like he's been a little bit of a mentor to you. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with him and what are some of the things that he's helped you to navigate in country music? We have done a lot together musically and he's had me on a song of his and I've had him on mine and we've toured a lot together and He's another one of those that are just very genuine, very family-based guy. His family means more to him than anything. And I love that. My family means more to me than anything. And he doesn't fake it. And he just paves his own way. And and I respect that a lot. Like, I want to pave my own way. And so just in general, being around him, getting to tour with him, he's, I think, one of the best entertainers on stage, can put on such an amazing show. 
all of that, I have just taken mental notes on how he's done it all. I've learned a lot from just watching him. So, Danielle, you've got your own tour coming up this spring in Texas, including at least one date in Houston. And you're headlining. What does it mean to you to be performing back home? It means a lot. I haven't done many shows back home. So to make it over there and some of them are selling out, you know, it's one of the harder markets. So I'm really excited that everyone there is excited. I'm so happy to be in my hometown, obviously. And my family's coming to every single one of the Texas shows. And so they're excited, like I said, because I don't play much there. But hopefully after this, it'll change. So I'm really pumped about it. Is there a venue there that you love especially or that you have some connection to? I have been to a few shows at the House of Blues in Houston, and I grew up going to the Houston Rodeo and watching all the concerts there. And so that's on my bucket list to be at the Houston Rodeo one day. I've performed there before with Thomas Rhett, just one song, and that was a feeling I will never forget. But to have my own show at the Houston Rodeo would be, I would freak out. <laughs> yeah, that's like 100,000 people or something, right? Oh, yeah. It's a big it's stadium. <laughs> so we'll see. Well, I'm sure that day is coming. <laughs> Danielle, your tour is called A Special Place, which is named after this song about someone who is really unhappy with their ex. What was it about that song that resonated with you? Well, it was a song I wasn't a part of writing, but you know, when I first heard the song, I immediately thought, well, I need something like this. I haven't had a sassy, very just showing a lot of personality type of song. I have the breakup songs, I have the slow songs, and I have my up tempo, but it hasn't ever been like this feisty type of music. And Mary Morris wrote that song and, and I'm a fan of her music and her voice. And when I first heard the song, it was her singing. And so the way she sang was a little bit of inspiration for me. And I kind of went off of her attitude as well. It's a side that we kind of just went full force with, with content, with pictures, videos. We're like, you know, this is a new era of Danielle Bradbury and let's, let's have fun with it. Let's go full force. And and really tap into this feisty character that I'm singing about in a special place. So it's been really fun and perfect for the name of my tour. And, and we're carrying that attitude as well throughout the tour. Well, for anyone who hasn't heard it, when you do hear it, you'll realize that a special place is a special place in hell <laughs> for, <Right. laughs> for someone who has done you wrong. Oh yeah. It's a fun one. Um, <laughs> so total flip side of that song, you know, for all your 
kind of uh, heartbreak songs and breakup songs. You have one called Never Have I Ever that's about falling in love maybe for the first time. I'm guessing you're probably going to be playing that on the same tour. How did that song come to be? So I was a part of writing Never Have I Ever, and I actually wrote it years ago when we were in the room. We were chasing that feeling of we thought we had fallen in love and we thought we've found that person, but let's write about actually feeling that feeling and meeting somebody that completely turns that whole thing around for you. And I had so much fun writing that song and I had it on the back burner for a while. And then I think a little bit before COVID, we decided to just put that song out and then everything shut down. <laughs> but we we made the best out of it. We somehow made it work and I was home and tried to do the music video in Austin, Texas. We drove just like about three hours and my mom was my glam girl. She did my hair and I did my own makeup. <laughs> she must have loved that. <laughs> oh, she loved that. We made an experience out of it that holds a special place in my heart. It was a fun one. And I still have videos on my phone from the day we wrote it and one of the writers playing it on the piano. So a lot of cool history with this song. Well, of all the new music that you've got out and all the songs in your catalog, what's the one that you get most excited about sharing with an audience? Oh, man, I have a lot of those that I'm sitting on right now. Some of them I haven't even released yet. So I'm really excited about those. But recently, I just introduced a new song that isn't out yet into my set called Runaways. And it's super upbeat, super fun and rocking and such a carefree song. And it's been really fun to introduce that to the crowd and sing it for the first time and just see the reaction from everybody. And that's been something that I've looked forward to performing. And it's always nerve wracking introducing a new song, but it's also really fun. Well, I saw you share something about that one on Instagram and it, it sounds great. The part that I heard and sounds like a lot of fun and yeah. high energy. And I think they're going to be singing along with you. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, Danielle, I just have one more question for you. What does it mean to you to be Southern? Oh, man. It means a lot to me to be Southern. Growing up and just having a Southern family, we're one big happy family, no matter what. Every time I go home, it's it's definitely nice being home. And I will always be humbled and carry that with me for the rest of my life. So it means a lot to me to be Southern. <laughs> well, Danielle Bradbury, thank you so much for being on Biscuits and Jam. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Danielle Bradbury. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. 
You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Our theme song is by Sean Watkins of Nickel Creek. 